This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right, welcome in to this edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo, alongside Casey Romaley. It is our latest East Carolina Hoops podcast. We are rolling along. I think this is our fourth consecutive week doing this podcast. And if you're unfamiliar, well, we are looking at two East Carolina players on a weekly basis to where we look at what to expect from them, what happened last year, if they're an incoming player, what to expect, profile on each player. And we're going to do that again today with two more players. And we are also looking at two American Athletic Conference teams per week as well. Kaysen has done a tremendous job researching these rosters, all the transfers, all the new faces, who's coming back, who's leaving, all that sort of stuff. And he's got that info, and we'll go over that today. We will focus on Wichita State and Texas San Antonio as well a new team to the American as well as a, uh, a a team that has been a power at times in Wichita State but has been down in recent years and has a new coach. So we'll get into that conversation. Towards the second half of our show, we're going to profile R.J. Felton, who is one of the team's leading returning scorers. Here in a little bit, we're also going to talk about what to expect from freshman to Corey Faison. But, Kaysen, let's, let's start with the big news. Uh, hoist the colors. We broke it last week, I believe last Friday, it was uh, it, it came out that Mark Adams, the former Texas Tech head coach, one of the most successful head coaches really in college basketball across all levels of college basketball over the last number of decades, he is now going to be an assistant coach at East Carolina on Mark, Mike Schwartz's staff as Mark Adams joins the mix. He, of course, will join Riley Davis, Jake Morton, Reggie Williams just recently promoted. Now the NCAA allows two extra assistant coaches that will be allowed to coach on the court. So Adams will uh, fulfill that role for ECU. So, you know, he had the departure at Texas Tech, which people can read about. Uh, I've told ECU did its due diligence in hiring him, looked into the process heavily, felt extremely comfortable hiring him. And from a basketball standpoint, Kaysen, this is a big deal. This is national news, and uh, this is a heck of a hire, I think, for Coach Schwartz. Yeah, Mark Adams is a major name in college basketball. This is major news for ECU because he is a great defensive mind and 
all the teams that he's been a part of have been great defensive teams. And Schwartz is a defensive minded coach. And I think this is just going to build this staff and with him as a coach and we have a fairly young team, the development that he's going to impact on those players is going to be huge for this team. And I also think that because Mark Adams being on this team is going to bring some more media attention and spotlight to this team as well. Yeah. I'm interested to see how, if any, this changes ECU's plans from personnel standpoint, because you look at Texas tech under Chris Beard and Mark Adams, who was a big part of, you know, Chris Beard's staff before he left uh, Texas Tech, you know, they recruit certain types of players and they recruit players really with defense in mind. Of course, you got to be able to score the basketball. And Coach Schwartz was a defensive coordinator at Tennessee under Rick Barnes. That was kind of his focus. He wants to build this thing on defense. But I felt like in year one, they just could not be good enough defensively personnel-wise, case into where they maybe had to to do some things differently that maybe Coach Schwartz wanted to. Now, we have seen them address things on the in the recruiting market. They added two big guys, specifically Sierra Belonga, who's more of a shot blocker, who has always been a component of this defense at times. And they also got a little bit more athletic at the guard position with some of those additions via the transfer portal a little quicker on the, but I, on the perimeter. But I think you always want length, and you, you want guys who can defend one through five. So – you know, we'll see how long Mark Adams is here. I think from an X and O standpoint, he will help. But I just wonder, personnel-wise, does that change how ECU, you know, approaches things going forward? I would definitely think it wouldn't change it in a major way, but definitely in a small way, how Mark Adams will be in Schwartz's ear saying, hey, like, hey, like, here is a, here's a long wing. Like, like let's say there's a player like Jaden Walker out there. Jaden Walker is a good defender on the wing. He has length. He has size. And I could definitely see with the addition of Adams that we would get more players like Jaden and like uh, and like Baela, who are those three fours, can play five if it's a smaller five, but that's reaching it. And I think Jaden Walker can guard one through four, which is huge. And I think that a player like Jaden is going to benefit great from Mark Adams because Mark has coached very high elite players in the same realm as Jaden Walker. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what what happens there, but a, a huge hire. And you look at the defensive or the coaching staff right now. I think it is very defensive, and I think we'll see this team put the clamps down a little bit more in, in 20, 20, uh, 23, 24 than we saw maybe last year. You got more familiarity now with the system. You got another defensive minded coach coming in. So really interested to see the progress of this team defensively from year one. To year two. All right, Kason, let's get into this conversation about some personnel. Again, we are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. If you got a question, drop it specifically on YouTube, Facebook. That's where we'll see it with our uh, with our streaming software. Of course, if you're listening to the podcast form, we appreciate you guys doing that. We're going to plan to do this every Tuesday at 12 noon on basketball. We will be back with another football podcast on Friday with Macy O'Donnell. We're going to look at defensive line ahead of the 2023 season. So we'll have that for you later this week. But all right, basketball and our next player is RJ Felton, Kaysen. And man, Kaysen, I think RJ Felton is probably my favorite ECU player in hoops in some time. Uh, Definitely since Jaden Gardner. Just because, I, and probably more than Jaden Gardner, honestly, I just love the way he plays the game, man. He, he plays it relentlessly. The guy, even if he was hurt, like at times last year, he would be hopping around on one leg due to cramps or a knee injury, and 
he just gives it his all. And I put, you know, this this title of the show, basically why R.J. Felton is the heartbeat of this ECU basketball team. Because I just feel like even at times when ECU didn't have a point guard last year, even when they weren't playing their best, R.J. Felton always, always was was giving his all. Even if he wasn't shooting the ball well, he found ways to impact the game, whether it be second chance, second chance points, rebounds, defense, steals. Uh, he just does it all, and I just love watching him play. And going into year three now, I really feel like he he has created kind of a an early legacy uh, for himself at ECU. I think fans really identify with him, really love watching him play. Just your thoughts on, on R.J. Felton being the heartbeat of this basketball team. He's a really good team. He plays hard. He plays scrappy, and he plays with intense and also intent. And I also think one of my favorite things about him is he's a guard that crashes the glass and rebounds very, very well at a high level. And that is crucial for guards in college basketball that because they need to rebound. And I think that R, RJ at times can be all gas, no all gas, no break sometimes. But I think this past year there were some times where you, you would see him kind of let up, let let the offense develop, let let people catch up. And I think it's only going to get bigger for him and better for him. And RJ Felton is going to is going to get his shots. He's RJ Felton is going to get his spot. And I think the development of him through the last two years has been crucial. And he's just he's just going to get better. He has improved his jump shot immense immensely. And there were and there were times this year where he would shoot and I was like, who I don't know about that one, but it would go in. And I'm like, wow. So I definitely think he is probably one of the most important players on this team, if not the most important player on this team. 6'3", 209, he plays a lot bigger than that. I mean, he, he he's a guy who can guard, again, one through four, too, depending on the matchups, Kaysen. And at times, he played the four last year. He could play the four this year because he's so physical. Uh, he looks like a an outside linebacker that should be playing like uh, on the football team. He can jump out of the gym. He throws down dunks. He makes crazy block shots. And, again, just leaves it all on the line. Like, you know, when a guy is, like, cramping, going out of the game, coming back in, cramping, going out, going back in, like, I mean, he just – he does it all. And uh, I think ECU fans will always appreciate someone like that. Again, going into year three, and I just – you know, regardless of what position he plays, he's got to be on the floor. Because he is, uh, he, to me, he he makes his team go. I think he's going to make it go, regardless of what Bobby Pettiford does, uh, regardless of if Cam Hayes plays or how good some of these freshmen are. We talk a lot about Ezra Saar, rightfully so. I think he's got the highest upside on the team. But I think RJ, along with Brandon Johnson, are really kind of the, the key cogs you have to have in this uh, lineup to really get to where you want to go. And let's look at the numbers uh, from RJ Case and, so as a freshman, again, credit first off to Joe Dooley. He was the one who recruited RJ. And, uh, you know, much like Brandon Johnson, found this guy, little under the radar recruit. You know, he had some interest from South Carolina, some other schools, but no, nobody really pulled the trigger on him. ECU did. They got him out of Aiken High School in South Carolina. As a freshman, he played a part-time role, 25 games, five starts, 16.7 minutes per game. Uh, he shot 35.6% from the field. He shot only 26.3% on 57 attempts from three-point range. Shot only 55.2% from the free throw line. Rebounded just 1.6 rebounds per game. 17 assists to 21 turnovers, two blocks, 10 steals. Just 5.1 points per game. So it was, you know, a decent freshman year. But we've talked so much about player development, Kaysen, and with uh, with RJ – 
no, you know, outside of Brandon Johnson, outside of Javon Small, RJ made the biggest jump year over year as Destry Edge. RJ comes to work every game. Yes, he does. Uh, last year, 32 starts. His minutes doubled. He went from 16 to 32 a game. He improved his shooting percentage from the field from 35 to 39%. He shot 196 threes and improved his three-point percentage from 26% to 32.7%. He improved his free-throw shooting from 55% to 77.2%. He improved his rebounding from 1.6 a game to 4.5 a game. 4.5 a game. And then he had more assists, 52 assists to 48 turnovers. And then 14 blocks over two blocks a year before, 31 steals over 10 steals. So just growth across the board, Kaysen, and um, really special year from RJ as a sophomore. 100%. And I would say the one thing that is not the prettiest status is three-point percentage at 32%. That's not outstanding, but it's not bad. But I also think that something to note is how his freshman year, freshman year he had 57 attempts. Last year he had 196 and at 32%, I mean, in my opinion, he's a better shooter than that because if you look at his splits by games, when he, when he was hot, he was hot. Like versus Campbell, he was 7 for 10 from, from 3. He was 3 for 5 at Tulane. He, I mean, there are many games where when he's shooting it well, he's going to score over 20 points a game. He's going to shoot it at a very high clip. And I think that three-point is, is just going to improve. And I also think that three-point attempts is going to go up as well because of that confidence. But jumping from 57 attempts to 196 is a major leap in confidence and also opportunity. And the biggest thing, trust from the coaching staff that they have for him to take those shots. And that's huge. Yeah, I don't think Schwartz is ever going to give RJ the red light because I feel like he earns it with this play. And look, there were, you know, not all 196 three-point shot attempts were good last year. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you could – I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure you could pull out 15 to 20 that were not ill-advised, but maybe not the best shot selection. And, you know, again, first year as a full-time starter. And at times, you know, Brandon Johnson would be out of the lineup due to foul trouble. Javon Small, of course, had the injury. So, like, there were times, Casey, and RJ was essentially the only offense. So, uh, there, there were there were times he had to shoot. You know, I'm looking at here. He shot 11 versus Temple, 11 against Wichita, 11 versus Tulsa, 10 against South Florida. I mean, there were times he basically had to shoot that much because nobody else was shooting the ball. Um, and so, I do wonder, and I do think we will see a better percentage this year I just wonder maybe you have a little bit more balance in your three-point attempts because I think he did lead the team above Brandon Johnson last year in, in Trey attempts. Yeah, I think so. And also, even when even when he's not shooting it well, like uh, I can't remember off the top of my head what he did, but I remember Cincinnati on February 15th, the first game after Jeff Charles' passing, he was a major part of that game and he was five for 19 from the, he was five for 19 from the four, 15 points. Do you remember what happened? Didn't he make like a great steal or block at the very end of that game to kind of seal it? Yeah. He made that play where I want to say he made a couple of nice plays. Uh, I think he made a, a, a ridiculous defensive play at one time. Yeah. And then he made that play where they threw it, you know, in the out of bounds and he mm-hmm. went flying out of bounds and kind of saved it. Uh, yeah. late in the game and everybody was like you know jeff charles played a role in in, in that play because it was so magical but that just shows you the freak stuff rj can do man he is a special talent he can jump out of the gym 
And the other thing too of this is he's playing, you know, look at starting on, on February 1st, 34 minutes at USF, 40 minutes against SMU. That's the entire game. 37 that night against Cincinnati, 35 at SMU, 39 in a win at Tulsa, 35, 36, 37, only 24 at UCF, but that's because he was hurt in that second half. Uh, 40 against South Florida coming off that injury, just showing you what, what he has in the conference tournament and 35 against Houston. So the guy is just a warrior. Um, my question for you, Casey, is, is what's the next step for RJ? Like, I think statistically, if he's scoring 14 a game, like last year, if he's getting around four and a half, five rebounds a game, I think you're happy with that. Is it, do, do we want to see more scoring or is it more about efficiency now, you know, more defensive stuff? What, what are you expecting from RJ in, in 23-24? I think he's going to need to be a little bit more efficient. I would think he was efficient last year considering his numbers. But also, he needs to continue to make those plays that don't show up on the box score. I mean, RJ, I mean, that's why he's the heartbeat of this team, just like you said, because RJ makes those big plays that do not come up on the box score. He He's not going to – he's going to make the big plays, but he's also going to make those little plays, diving for loose balls, scrapping, getting a huge defensive rebound that doesn't necessarily come up on the box score saying, hey, RJ, RJ got the most important defensive rebound and that's the kind of player he is. And I think that, and I think he's going to continue to do that. And I also think, I also think with Bobby coming in, who is, who is a solid point guard and is going to run the floor. He necessarily doesn't always have to go. He doesn't necessarily have to come down and say, Hey, I need to score right now because we need to, we need to score because he has Ezra, he has Brandon Johnson. And also Bobby is going to find the open guy and Bobby's going to find RJ. And them two in the backcourt is going to be huge. And also, if you had Cam in that, you got Cam, RJ, and Bobby. Those are three very talented guards. And and RJ RJ's ahead of that, and he's going to be huge for this team next year. Yeah, and I, I wonder, too, if, uh, you know, depending on what happens with Cam Hayes, like I think we all assume Bobby Pettiford, if healthy, will start at, at the point guard position. Uh, and, and I think RJ Felton will start somewhere. So then kind of – and we know Brandon Johnson and Ezra are probably going to start. So, like, who is your maybe fifth guy? And we can get in that conversation when we profile uh, either Cam or Quentin DeBunje. And we've talked about Ben Baela. But, you know, just how small does this team want to play? If you play if you play RJ along with Cam and Bobby, that's three pretty small guards in terms of height. Although, certainly Cam and RJ, Kaysen, are, are – I would say much more physically built than your average, like six two, six three guard. Like I think they play bigger than their their size indicates. Yes, RJ does one hundred percent. You could put you could put RJ down there at Dietrich Stadium, and I think he would have. I would think he would have four or five picks in a season, maybe a maybe a sack and a forced fumble. I mean, he is he is a phenomenal talent. He's a phenomenal athlete. He jumps out of the gym, and it goes to the question: Is let's say hypothetically Cam. Cam does get eligible. And my opinion, you put Bobby at one, you put Cam at two, you put you put RJ at three because RJ is just such a freak athlete and RJ can guard those threes and fours because of his athleticism. And I think that if Cam doesn't get the get the waiver, you put RJ at two. And then I think I think the three spots open for open competition. I mean, I mean, I would say if you want to go big, you can maybe you can maybe put Bayo there, if you're playing a bigger team, you can maybe put DeBunche, you can put Jaden Walker, or you could put Takori Face on if his development keeps on going. So I definitely think there is a 
fighting open spot for that three spot if Cam does not get cleared. And I'm looking forward to see who takes that spot. Yep, and we'll talk about Sequoia Faison here in a second. Let, let's make our R.J. Felton uh, scoring line predictions, Kaysen. So last year, 13.8 a game, four and a half rebounds per game, and uh, he had 52 assists in, let's see, I think uh, – 20 yeah 52 assists in what, what around 32 games or something so he averaged a little less than two a game um i think he's gonna put up very similar numbers i'm gonna go 14 points a game again and i think his rebounding will go up even more i think he's gonna go to like six rebounds per game and i think he'll stick stick around two assists i think his stat line will look pretty similar uh your your thoughts on rj yeah, I'm going to go right at 13 and a half, 13, 14 points. I'm going to go right at five rebounds and two assists. And I also think those block numbers should also go up just like they have the past few years because he's a very aggressive defender. And if and if his man's going to drive to the basket, he's more than block that shot. And also, some of us not to, talked about RJ is a great RJ is a great help defender. He will chase down that block, pin it off the glass, which is a huge part of Sports' defense and the help defense. So I, I can see those block numbers going up big time, too, for a guard. Yeah, two blocks as a freshman, 14 last year. I would expect at least 14, 15, if not more, as Kaysen said, this year for R.J. Felton. All right, let's move to our second player of the show. It is to Corey Faison, the freshman from Goldsboro. And, uh, you know, we both continue to hear a lot of good things about to Corey. Uh, listed officially at 6'5", 224. Just a big physical guard, almost built, you know, kind of a wing type, but he's built almost like a tight end. Like he's got thick legs, uh, wide upper frame. If you haven't seen him in person, like he looks even bigger than what he's listed as. He's physical. He Another guy who can jump out of the gym, who can shoot the ball. He's got a pretty uh, pure stroke from three-point range. So, and a guy just that, that just wasn't recruited highly enough, I don't think. I mean, I, I think DeCorey's got a chance to be – maybe the best player in this class, transfer or freshman. And again, he is a freshman, so he's got a ways to go. I'm not going to say he's going to go out there and score 20 a game right away, but I think in time he can be a very special player. Expectations year one, what are they, Case, and what are fair expectations for Takori? Uh, it, it is kind of interesting that he's not really highly recruited, but I feel like we kind of are expecting him to perform pretty well right away. Yeah, I have – in my opinion, I have high expectations for him because coming in, what I don't understand is how he did not get the looks that he deserved. Um, I remember in November, October, I got a call from uh, one of my former trainers, Drew Phillips. Shout out Drew Phillips. Um, he called me and said, hey, have you heard about this kid to Corey Faison? I was like, no, who is that? He goes, he goes to Goldsboro. He's a killer. He can shoot the ball. He's an athletic freak. And I was like, no, I've not heard him. So then I looked him up. I watched a couple of videos and holy cow, this kid can jump out of the gym. He's a heck of an athlete. And then, but it also goes into how many minutes is he going to get? Cause I think I could see him in one or two years being a vocal point of this team because of his athleticism and his ceiling is high because all the stuff that we've heard about him. But I think that in my opinion, that he should get 10 to 15 minutes a game, if not more. And I think that if someone goes down, he has the capability of stepping up and growing in that role. So I think that his development is going to be crucial for this team. 
And just that we were talking about at the uh, three spot, I think if he has a really good summer, because he had a pretty good spring, if he has a good summer and a good fall, you could maybe see him stealing some minutes from maybe Jaden Walker or uh, Dabunji at that three spot. Yeah, I think UCU's got to have somebody step up on the wing. And, and going forward, you know, we, we talked about Ben Baela showing flashes of three-point shooting at times, you know, solid athletes. We know Quentin is a freak of an athlete as well. Um you know, we'll profile him at a later date. He's a, a potential breakout candidate, but he's going on year three now. You know, time's kind of ticking for for Quentin. I, I kind of see Jaden, yeah, as a guy who could play the wing, but I almost see him as like a jack-of-all-trades. He'll be slotting in at points, uh, the two, the three, the four even maybe, but definitely one, two, three. So to me, I'm looking at like Takori, I'm looking at Quentin, I'm looking at Ben Baila. I'm like, who are going to get those minutes? When conference play rolls around, I think we'll see a lot of rotation early on. But who's going to eventually earn that role? And I wouldn't put it past to Corey. Again, we'll see what happens. You look at his high school numbers. He was, again, playing a 2A competition in Eastern North Carolina. So the jump from 2A to college basketball is a big one. But still, 24.8 points per game, 12.7 rebounds shot, uh, a very good percentage from three-point range. He was the uh, Terry Walls Holiday Invitational MVP against really good competition. So when they did step out and play good teams, he performed very well and showed he belonged. Uh, he scored 52 points in the Eastern North Carolina Senior All-Star Game, which was comprised of the top 24 seniors in Eastern North Carolina. And that 52-point effort set the all-time All-Star Game scoring record. So the guy can score. Uh, the biggest challenge for him is defensively, like learning the system. Also, you know, watching his tape, you know, he's got to work on his footwork defensively and how to position himself better, uh, you know, especially with his first step and moving laterally. So those are some things he's going to have to work on. But I just think as far as scoring the ball and as far as shooting uh, and really being an explosive athlete, he kind of reminds me of R.J. Felton. I think he's a little bit better of a shooter and he's a little bigger casing. But coming out of high school, like I loved R.J.'s tape. I just thought he was very raw, and I think Takori's the same way. Not highly recruited. Yeah, I think Takori's very raw, yeah. raw as well. And yeah. I also think a major thing that's going to help in his development is how much is how overlooked he was. And yeah. I think that's going to play a big part in hey, like I'm going to prove myself and prove to everybody that I'm that I'm the, one of the best players in my class. And I mean, it blows my mind that he put up those numbers and had and had some buzz and Look at the state of North Carolina for basketball. It's arguably the best state in, in college basketball. And I, and, and, I, and I mean, he got he may have got some looks, but no serious interest from the big time schools and not even the big time schools. Schools like schools like Wilmington, schools like App, schools like them. And I mean, it just blows my mind that he did not get that attention. And I also think that what is going to happen, in my opinion, I think it'll happen just like it happened with. Ezra, he's going to have a breakout year soon, and everyone's going to, everyone is going to, everyone's going to come calling. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, and the other thing too is ECU. I know they saw him multiple times, and then once they saw him, they went and they watched him practice. They sent the entire coaching staff over there. They sent the staff back to watch him play. So they watched him probably five, six times before really saying, hey, all right, we're not going to let this kid escape Eastern North Carolina. And uh, they did their due diligence and got him. And I know that they're extremely happy to have Takori in the program. So, yeah, I'm going to not – you know, I'm not going to set the bar but so high because at the end of the day he's a freshman. But I expect him to play this year. I think what you're saying is right. Maybe we see a similar path 
from what we saw from Ezra last year to to Corey this year in terms of you know getting your feet wet early, then by the end of the year you're playing a, a bigger role. Um, so let's make our, our stat predictions for to Corey. I'm going. Uh, I think he's going to end the year averaging six points a game, uh, four rebounds a game, and an assist per game. So pretty solid numbers for a freshman. And it wouldn't surprise me if he surpassed them. But that's what I'm going with. Your uh, your thoughts, Kason? Yeah, I'm gonna go right at. I'm gonna go right at four, four and a half, five, five points a game, maybe about three rebounds a game and maybe an assist a game. But I also think, just like you said, a major talking point for him is going to be improving defensively. And we know with this team, if you know how to play defense, you're going to get minutes on the floor. That's a major point of Scorch's philosophies, and also especially with Adams coming in. If you want to play, you got to know how to play defense and play it well. So I think that if he can play defense at a, at a high level, he will get his minutes increased, and those numbers will go up all around yeah, we saw it last year with Quentin. Like, if you struggle defensively and you don't buy in, you're not going to play maybe the minutes you want to play. So that'll be the biggest challenge for Corey. And uh, I think, you know, hopefully by conference play, towards the end of non-conference, we start to see him take off in that regard. So really excited about Corey, though. And really all these these newcomers, I think they all have a chance to help the Pirates moving forward. All right, let's uh, let's transition Kaysom to our opponent's AAC previews, and you've done a tremendous job with your research here and once again have uh, have outdone yourself with these notes you just sent me. And nobody has studied UTSA basketball outside of the San Antonio market than Kaysen Romaley. Uh, he's got the, the scoop on what to expect from the Roadrunners, who I'm excited about joining the program and joining the conference uh, as, a, as a football program, but as a basketball team, it's been a struggle. And uh, take us through your, some of your notes, then we'll kind of have a discussion on the, the Roadrunners. Well, this team is not very good. They're not a very great historic program. Last year they were 10-22 and 22 with a 4-16 and 16 conference record. Their head coach is Steve Henson, who is a great college basketball player. He is Kansas State's all-time assist leader. He played in 238 NBA games. But I'm saying this because he was a great player, and just because you're a great player, in my opinion, doesn't make you a great coach. That's no that's no slight because I know it's hard to be a coach. And then he started his coaching career right after he, he ended his NBA stint. He was with Illinois for a year, then with the Hawks, the Atlanta Hawks, for two years. He was a South Florida assistant for a year, and then he was at UNLV for a while, for seven years as an assistant. And then he was at Oklahoma for five years, and then he took his first head coaching job at UTSA in 2016. And his years there have not been great at all. He just has three years over 500 his first year at UTSA. In 2016, they were 14 and 19. And next year in 2017, they were 20 and 15. In 2018, they were 17 and 15, 2019, 13 and 19, 2020, 15 and 11. And then the last two years, they were 10 and 22 and 10. Yeah, both 10 and 22 in those years. And that's just not great. He has an overall conference record of 95 and 109, which is not good at all. And considering what college basketball has been the past couple of years, it blows my mind that he's still a head coach there because, I mean, I think I think if you want a good head coach, you can go out and get a head coach, especially UTSA, who does have money in their athletic program. But it also begs the question of like how much like how much do they this is sound bad, but like 
is basketball focused for their for their for their athletic program? Yeah, I mean that's a good point because I feel like talking to some of their UTSA writers since joining the league is, hey, we're in a good position financially and we're supporting the football program, but the rest of the sports are a major question mark, especially basketball. It honestly sounds a lot like East Carolina, especially ECU of when they first joined the American. I think ECU has started to take uh, basketball a lot more seriously, especially since Je- uh, since uh, John Gilbert got the job, and I think they've invested more in the program. But I think UTSA right now has to make a decision. And, you know, th- th- the start of his tenure wasn't bad, Case, and f- like you mentioned some of those early years, but the last two years, 10 and 22, 10 and 21, and we'll get into the conversation of, what this team is going to look like in, in this coming year. I mean, basically, they're starting over again. And he, the guy is entering year eight. And, you know, we're not as privy to as much information as, you know, if we lived in San Antonio. But just on paper, it kind of makes you scratch your head where a lot of coaches are getting two, three, four years. And if you're not winning by then, you're out the door. Um, but it appears UTSA is going to at least give them one more shot. And, uh, they're going to do it with basically a brand-new roster. I mean, everybody from last year's team just about is leaving. And, uh, I mean, I think you have it here as seven, eight guys having transferred out. Yes. And when I was when I was looking at this, doing my research, and, man, for, for uh, some of these teams' research, man, I'm going in rabbit holes, man. I'm going in wormholes <laughs> to find this stuff. I mean, I mean, I'm in Twitter wormholes like crazy trying to find this stuff. And one thing that I saw was um, their season ended early, of course, because they did not go far in March. And by like the second week of March, in like a span of 24 to 48 hours, they had like eight kids on their team transfer. And I think, in my opinion, I tried to find it. But I mean, you don't know if that's mutual or coaches saying, hey, like I need to clean house. Just there's more opportunities somewhere else. Because I've, I've seen that and heard of that in other areas of college basketball and other college sports. So they had many, many transfers. I mean, they they only returned one major contributor, and that was Christian Tucker, who just scored five points a game. I mean, all of all of their transfers were the major parts of their team. They lost they lost four they lost four double digit scores, and then when you look at their incoming class coming in, they just have one they just have one freshman coming in, another freshman decommitted from them, and then. When you look at the players they have coming in, Stephen, like the 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 transfers they have, some of these kids, this is their third, this is their second or third school going going to, like uh, like a Isaiah I, Isaiah Wyatt. He started at McLennan Community College, then went to Southwest Community College, then tra- then Chardon State, which is D two school, and now UTSA. It's it's just that some of these guys, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. I mean, Netflix should start Netflix should should go season three a last chance you for basketball for this for this program this year to make it interesting watch i mean i'm i'm counting right now all right so one two three four five six of the transfers incoming have already been to multiple schools um yeah and, and they have so you look at it like from the juco ranks pj carter he's been the campbell georgia highlands he scored 16.3 points per game uh, at Juco, Isaiah Wyatt coming from a D2 school, Chardon State, 18.7 points per game. Uh, another kid coming from a D2 school, averaged 16 a game. So, like, these guys can score, but they've been scoring at a lower level. And, 
you know, nobody coming in has proven they can really score at the division one level consistently. Um, so this is this is how they're choosing to build it. Look, if I if I was on year eight and didn't really have a whole lot to sell, I, d- I don't think this is the worst approach in the world, Casey. But there there's a lot of question marks here for Steve Henson. I was looking to um, so their AD. This is what she said, and this so this will be Steve Henson's final year of his contract. Uh, so and they're letting him go through the final year, which I've, I've never been a huge fan of letting a coach go through a lame duck year, basically. But this is what's going to happen. Um, He's getting paid four hundred thousand, and his contract will expire next uh, next spring. It says after this is from their AD. After careful careful evaluation of our men's basketball program, including candid and open discussions with Coach Henson on the team's performance and his leadership, he will remain as head coach for the twenty three twenty four season. Coach recognizes that we have high expectations at UTSA for all of our athletic teams and that this year's men's basketball season did not meet those expectations. He is committed to substantive improvement, has already begun a complete evaluation of the program, and will make the changes necessary to enable success next season. So the plan thus far, and this was months ago, the plan is to basically bring in a lot of guys who can score at a lower level, and we'll see how it works out. Yeah, I mean, I get what coach is trying to do, and I get what the ATS to say, but I also think if it's your if it's your eighth year, you're coming off ten and twenty two both years. I understand there's not. I mean, I don't know if there's a lot of I don't know if there's a lot of money in the basketball program, but I mean, coming in and your what's going to be your final year essentially, you bringing in your best players come in are two Division two players, and that's no knock on those players; they're great players. But I mean, this is the American conference. And I think that if you're going to compete, you need to have high level players. And I honestly don't see this team being much better than they, than they were last year. I mean, I mean, yes, stars are going to be born and happens every happens every year. Players step up to the plate, but when just looking at this team, I mean, there's not one player that I can go. Yeah. He can give me 20 points tonight. So, I mean, we're definitely, we're definitely going to see, and I did see that um, Jordan Ivy Curry, he was at UTSA previously. He transferred to to Pacific for a year, I think, and then came back. And he was a fan favorite from what I've seen on Twitter. So they're excited about having him back. And from what I've saw, he's going to be like the like the heartbeat of that team. So I mean, I'm curious to see what this team does, but I also think. They're not going to be very good, in my opinion. <laughs> to me, uh, of all our previews thus far, UTSA definitely will be the one picked to finish last. We still got about half the conference remaining, but uh, I just don't see this team being picked towards the top of the league uh, or even towards the middle. I think they got to be towards the bottom. All right, so there's UTSA, a team, a program that's still trying to find its way. Let's wrap up with Wichita State, a team that, pours all of its resources into basketball. They don't have a football program. They've got a baseball and softball program they support. But at the end of the day, in Kansas, Wichita State, basketball is is king, obviously outside of Kansas. Uh, basketball, Kansas State basketball is so pretty big. But in that area, in Wichita, Kansas, uh, the Koch brothers, they pour a ton of money into the program, which is why after a 17-5 and record last year, 9-9 nine and nine season, uh, they fired head coach Isaac Brown, who was, uh, you know, put put up pretty mediocre results. I would say, casing over three years. I think year one they like won the conference championship, but it was like the COVID year, and they had less wins than Houston. 
They basically got it on a technicality, percentage wins, all that sort of stuff. But uh, was not surprised at all to see to see Isaac Brown moved on from because it just felt like they weren't really trending the right way. Yeah, and it just goes to show that the uh, importance of basketball there because, I mean, if Isaac Brown were putting up those numbers at UTSA, they would have gave him a 25-year contract extension, basically. from yeah, what I, from Same what thing at ECU. Yeah, for real. So, I mean, last year there was 17 and 15, which is not bad in college basketball, but not up to shocker standards. And also, to be honest, I mean, they this Wichita State program has not been the same since Greg Marshall's departure. And that is and that was a very tough time for this program because of all that went on with that. And they went out and hired Paul Mills, Paul Mills, who was a great head coach at Oral Roberts and also a longtime Baylor assistant. He knows he knows he knows ball. He knows he knows how to play and he knows how to play the right way. And, and his Oral Roberts teams were very, very good. He's. He started out slow. His first two years at Oral Roberts, they were 11 and 21, which wasn't great. And then in 2019, they were 17 and 14. And then in 2020, everyone remembers their magical run to the uh, Sweet 16, led led by uh, Max Asmus. A- is it Amos or Amos? I, I, I never know how to say his last name. Admus, Admus. Uh, yeah, I think it's Admus. But he, but, but I mean, everyone in college basketball. If you watch college basketball, you have heard his name multiple times. He was one of the best players in college basketball the past. Three years, honest, honestly, he's been outstanding. He now transferred to Texas. Many people thought he was going to transfer to Wichita State because to follow Mills, and I'm glad he did not do that because I do not want him in the American Conference. And Mills Mills recruited him, and he was an under-the-radar player, and he developed him. And Mills is a great coach, and I think he's definitely has the capability to turn this program around. And your thoughts on Mills? Yeah, I think it's a great hire. I mean, I think it's a, a guy who has proven he can build a program uh, and sustain success and do it his way. And I'm always interested, you know, the only apprehension I have is like at a school like Oral Roberts, the pressure is not on to win right away. So he had time to struggle early on. At Wichita State, the pressure is going to be on to win right away. Like they might give you a year, they might give you you know, a year and a half, but by year two, they're going to expect you to be winning. So, you know, if you're trying to build a program your way, are you utilizing the portal? You know, even when maybe you don't want to, are you recruiting a bunch of uh, freshmen? Are you finding that mix? You know, we'll get into the roster here in a little bit. It looks like they're utilizing the portal. They do have a decent returning core as well uh, with some guys coming back. They still got some scholarships left to utilize as well. So uh, overall, it seems like, Maybe Paul Mills is still trying to figure out how exactly he wants to build the program there. But the, the, just the difference is, obviously, your pay goes up, which is big as a coach. That's why you make these moves. But the pressure to win does, too. And Wichita State expects to win. They expect to be in the NCAA tournament. Basically, you know, if not every year, every other year. It's been a long drought for them. And uh, interested to see how he handles the expectations. But I think it's a great hire. You mentioned the Baylor ties. Obviously, Baylor's been an elite program for years now. Uh, so I, I think he'll do a good job there as long as he gets the time needed. Yeah, I definitely think that this is – but, I mean, it's with – it comes with every coach coming from a smaller school into a bigger program. And I think that out of the out of the candidates that were available for this job, I think Mills was definitely at the top of this list. And I think Wichita State chose the right guy right now. I mean, we might be having a different conversation in one or two years, but just like you said, 
I would definitely say they're going to give him a year of leeway, and let's say they're not as good this year. Let's say they're let's say they're right at 15 and 15, 16, 16, something like that. I think they're going to be fine with that, but I definitely think in year two, they're definitely going to expect a major jump from them. And also in college basketball, that should happen because of how the portal is now. You can get it. You can get a whole new 12 in two weeks in March and April. If you, if, if you really want to, that's just how it is. And they did, they did lose some pieces, but that also comes with a new head coach. When there's a new head coach coming, most most the most of the time, transfers will happen because they want to stick with their guy, their coach. And they lost uh, Jaquan Walton, who transferred to UCF, who picked up another in-conference transfer, just like me and Stephen talked about, how UCF's always going to scrape the bottom of the barrel and get all the leftovers players. And then uh, Craig Porter Jr. is with the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was in the NBA. Now he's – he. He also had a good summer league, just a little bit right there. Uh, Jaron Pierre, I was looking at him. He's still in the portal. I could not find where he went. And then James Rojas, who averaged 10 points a game, he had – I know he had one year left of eligibility, maybe two years, but he opted to play pro ball in Canada. I guess he got a lot of money to go there, which really kind of boggled my mind. But, I mean, I guess you do what you want. And then Melvin Flanagan, uh, portal – and then no other real major contributors after that. Um, they did return Kenny Photo, who is, in my opinion, a good player. Me and Steven talked about that before. He's a solid piece for them. And then they also have Colby Rogers, who sat out last year due to transfer rules, who scored 14 points a game two years ago at Seattle with 43% for three. And a major point that hasn't been talked about last year, they have Quincy Ballard, Florida State big, who's a seven-footer. He's a big body. He was injured the latter part of last year, but one of the games early in the season, he had 20 and 20. And then this team's this team's going to have good bigs. Your thoughts on returning and loss before we get into the portal? Yeah, I, I really like Kenny Poto. I mean, there were times last year he looked like one of the big or best bigs in the conference. Uh, I, I think Rodgers is going to go from a guy who didn't play at all last year, obviously due to the transfer rules. To be in, uh, to be in one of the best three-point shooters in the league. I mean, forty-three percent from three is a sharp percentage, Sienna or not. So, uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do. I just think, you know, when they didn't have Craig Porter last year, they really struggled as a team. And so, I think without him and with Flanagan, who was their their backup point guard, moving on, you know, Sham, Shama Scott hit some threes versus ECU, so he can shoot the ball. Uh, Walton was a key player for them. So, again, they got a ton to replace, and we'll talk about the portal coming in. I found this note while we were talking, by the way. You mentioned Jerron Pierre. I just Twitter searched his name. Fifteen hours ago, it was announced he has committed to Langston University, which is an NAIA program, uh, after averaging (laughs) 10.6 points per game last year. He also played at Southern Miss. So, when I found out, is basically he's a second-time transfer, so he's not expecting to be eligible at the Division One level, so he's going to NAIA to play a year, Kaysen, and then we'll be back for, uh, I guess, his final year of eligibility if he's got one. But, um, but yeah, why leave Wichita State if you're averaging 10 a game to go play NAIA basketball? He must not either that or – he must not like Paul Mills or Paul Mills told him kick rocks. I mean, that's the only two things I can come up with. I mean, but why would you not want a 10, 11 point game score to come back? I just don't understand that. But it is crazy. 15 hours ago, 
I did this research 16 hours ago. So yeah. I should have researched one hour longer. Hey, you're doing a great job, so no worries. But I mentioned, too, Rojas is also a big loss. He was a beast last year. So, you know, you're talking about an essentially a whole starting lineup outside of Kenny Poto. Uh, but, you know, Wichita, they're always going to have talent. They have money. They can buy talent. And uh, you, you, you interesting, we just talked about UTSA. One of their best players is going from UTSA to Wichita. So give us a rundown of transfers. So they got the best player in their transfer class was Jacob Germany, who was UTSA's leading scorer two years ago with 15 points a game, right at 15, 16 points a game, and right at eight rebounds. So he is a double, he's a he is a double double night in and night out. I expect those numbers to go up this year from 12.3 last year and 8.3 rebounds. He'll be a major part of that team. And also Harlan Beverly from Miami, who I think is going to be a major part for this team. He averaged 3.5 points per game last year, 1.2 assists, 1.2 rebounds for Miami last year. And when he was on the floor, he was a major part for this team. But also, you, he, I put him in that kind of Bobby Pettiford situation where he's a good player but is getting held back because of the backup of guards. Because Beverly was not going to play ahead of Jordan Miller, who is a NBA talent, Isaiah Wong, NBA talent, Nigel Pack, NBA talent. So he got kind of he got kind of backed up in that. And when um, there was a I think it was an ACC tournament, I think Miller went down for a game and Beverly really Beverly really stepped up in that game because I mean, I was there watching it and he'll he'll be a great player for them. And then they got uh, Ronnie DeGray from uh, Missouri, 17 games played last year. But in uh, his Freshman or sophomore year at Missouri, he averaged 8.7 points a game. He battled an injury last year. He'll be a solid player. And then they got uh, Bijan Cortez from Oklahoma. He's a point guard. I watched him play a couple times. He is a solid point guard, solid ball handler, but he's not so much a threat to score. And also, when going through this team, I don't see a point guard that I'm like, wow, he could go out and give me 15, 20 points a game. But with this team, their strength is going to be their bigs. Like I said, they have Quincy Ballard, the seven-footer from Florida State. And then you pair him with Jacob with Jacob Germany, who is six, who's 6'11". Six I mean, if you put Quincy Ballard at the five at seven-foot and then Germany at four, I mean, that that is a big, big team. And then uh, Poto, who's got great size, too, at three. This This will be a big team. But also, just like I said, was I mean, I don't understand where the guard production is going to come from. I don't see it on my notes. I was looking for it. So if they can get good guard production, this team, this team will be pretty good. Yeah, it looks like the question mark on paper. It looks like kind of a, you know, they're going to expect maybe this this Cortez kid from Oklahoma or one of the young guys coming back to uh, to potentially step up, like you know Xavier Bell, a combo guard coming out of high school. Maybe he plays a bigger. Bigger role, but we'll see. I think they'll have talent. They always seem to have bigs, and maybe they can develop a guard somewhere. And this is this is why you you add a couple of bigs to the roster for ECU, basically for when you play Wichita State, because you got to have somebody that can at least get in there and bump and, and grind with these big dudes, because they are uh, there. There's some. They always have guys in the paint, man. And it looks like this year will be no different. I guess they grow them different in Kansas. I don't know, or just recruit them different in Kansas. Well, where would you kind of project as we wrap up here, Wichita in the preseason poll, middle of the conference? I mean, is that fair? Middle half, you know, middle top half? I think they'll be pretty good, but they are kind of hard to 
to predict. I guess every team's hard to predict in this era of college basketball. I definitely think that for a first-year head coach, no matter the situation, there's going to be some bumps in the road. There are going to be some bumps in the road early. They're going to have to find their identity towards the latter end of their non-conference. I am curious to see their non-conference because if it's very, it's very, if it's very challenging, it could really hurt this team just like we, we talked about a couple weeks ago with uh, SMU. They had a brutal non-conference and it really hurt them in their development. And I mean, just like I said, I mean, they have great size, they have great bigs, but the guards, I don't know where they're going to be with that. And I could see this team being middle of the conference, just like they were last year, around 9-9 in the conference, 8-10, and somewhere around there. I mean, this this team is going to beat the UTSAs, the bottom of the conference, but when it comes to when it comes to their games against FAU, Memphis, games like that, I definitely think they have the capability to win those games. It's just that sometimes talent in college basketball is so spread out, you don't know what's necessarily going to happen. But I definitely think this team is not a team that you can fall asleep on necessarily because they will beat you. All Wichita State teams are like that, even when they're not great. They, you, you, they can't catch you sleeping. So, I mean, I would put them at middle of the conference. I'd put them at 9-9 similar last year. But I could see them a little bit worse because it's a new head coach, new system, new everything. It takes a while for things to click. I'm not too high on this team, but I'm not too low on them as well. Sounds very middle of the pack-ish. And I think, you know, the more we do this, the more I'm expecting a lot of teams to be similar. Like I, I see Wichita, kind of Rice, some of these teams – in a similar standing in the middle of the pack. And even ECU, I think you would throw ECU in the middle of that pack. And, like, you know, if I had to pick ECU versus Wichita State right now in July, which I'm not, thankfully, because there's still a lot of moving parts, I would probably pick them to split just like last year. Uh, ECU won on the road at Wichita State last year. How about that? That still blows my mind a little bit. So uh, that was a big win for, for Coach Schwartz, first time ever, and we'll see if they can do it again in 2023-24. Well, Kaysen, we learned a lot about the Shockers. We learned a lot about uh, UTSA, and we're getting closer. I think we've done now eight teams of the 14. And also some major cleanup news. Um, When we did the Memphis preview, I did say that from people I've talked to that they, when Javon Quinterly entered the portal, he would go to Memphis. He did, he did commit this past week to Memphis, uh, he was at Villanova his freshman year, then Alabama two years. He did have he did Terry's ACL, I think it was last year, year before. So, but Javon Quinterly is a great addition to that team. He is a very good player, high talent player, which is going to boost this Memphis team a lot. And I said in our preview that if they get him, they're going to be better. And I think that because this addition, you could put them at the same level as FAU right now. I just say they were a little steps behind them, but Memphis addition of JQ is going to be huge for them, and he's going to be an all-conference player. Money pays off again. If you listen to the podcast, I'm going money, 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 son, uh, as Penny continues to get some NIL funding, or maybe he's just funding himself. Who knows? Uh, all right, that'll do it for our previews for today. All right, so here's who we got left on the conference. Uh, we've got UAB. We've got Charlotte. We've got, uh, let's see here. These are all out of order. Uh, we've got North Texas. That's three. We've got USF. 
and we've got Temple. That's five, and then ECU would make six. So we've actually done nine of the 14 teams. We could always do an ECU preview at the very end. So um, we only got uh, a couple of these left. And so how about next week we go – you want to go UAB and – Let's go – uh, le- Let's go uh North Texas next week because I was okay. doing some research and they're gonna they're gonna be a sneaky team that's gonna creep up on a lot of people. So let's go North Texas and Temple next week then. Okay. Temple is uh, another team that's been a, a basketball traditional power, but just has not been able to put things together. And obviously with Damian Dunn heading out, uh and and battle going to Arkansas. Battle going to Arkansas and Aaron McKee. He's no longer the head coach there, right? So off the top yep. of my head, no, I don't know. He is he is gone. Their head coach is now Adam Fisher. So who was the Penn State uh associate head coach previously? So we'll have a lot to discuss there. And then player wise, let's go Quentin DeBoonje. And we will also round out uh, – let's go Callum Richard. We'll round out the freshman. we got to save Cam Hayes for as long as possible, although the more this goes on, the less I'm expecting him to be eligible uh, based on everything we're hearing. If guys are transferring to NAIA schools uh, <laughs> as multi-time transfers, it's not looking good. But we'll uh, we'll address that when we get there. Either way, he's got two years of eligibility left, whether he plays this year or sits out. So that's a positive. But all right, Kason. Well, we went about an hour talking basketball in July, and uh, we're effectively killing time. And like I, t- I texted you last week, I don't know who's enjoying this podcast, but I know I am. I know you are. And honestly, this has been fun, and I'm looking forward to continuing it. And once we get through all the players and and opposing teams, it'll be that much closer to football season, and we'll find something else to talk about with basketball as well. One hundred percent. I cannot wait till college basketball, and the next thing we're waiting on is the non-conference schedule to come out, and that is going to be exciting as well. Will it though? And we'll, <laughs> I love I love college basketball. So even if even if we got eighteen me at schools, there, I'm still going to be excited. That's true. That should come out in August, and then once that comes out, we can always do a uh, some sort of conference or some sort of schedule breakdown. Looking into that. So that'll be fun. All right. He is Casey Romaley. I'm Stephen Igo. This has been the Hoist the Colors basketball podcast. We'll be back with you on the football podcast. Friday is Macy O'Donnell joins me to talk uh, defensive line. And then we'll be back with you next Tuesday at 12 noon is the plan. We'll let you know if something changes. But we'll talk to you next week with our latest offseason basketball podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next time. It was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.